Hey there, welcome to the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell. I'm really hopeful that today's conversation will bring hope and direction to parents who may be feeling confused, scared, or concerned about their teen's future. Transitioning to life after high school, whether you're headed to college or someplace else, is difficult for most. And for some, it's just plain overwhelming. Even for those students who seem to have what it takes to succeed academically, they may still need improvement in executive functioning skills like time management, organization, and follow-through. Today's guest, Lauren Merritt, is an expert in this field and has excellent advice and insight for parents of teens. Lauren is the Chief Operating Officer of College Steps, a nonprofit 501c3 that was founded by a clinical psychologist and a special educator with a simple mission to empower students living with learning and social challenges through structured post-secondary support. Working closely with high schools, colleges, and families, they emphasize peer-to-peer services that build confidence and success. This episode is packed full of valuable information, so let's get started. Hi, Lauren. Thanks so much for being here today. Hi, Betsy. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you for making time for this super important conversation. And I'm going to preface this conversation with, I wish you and your organization were in every single school everywhere because the support you provide is so needed and so not available in so many schools. But We'll talk about that and what you offer and and how we can help parents who might not have somebody like you nearby. Um, but we before we do that, if you could just take a minute to introduce yourself, kind of who you are and what you do. Absolutely. Um, my name is Lauren Merritt, and I am the COO and co-founder of the College Steps organization. Uh, College Steps is a nonprofit group uh, that partners with both colleges and community partners and families. Um, to provide transition-based supports for students who are interested in going to college, either that be matriculating or getting a college-based experience, and are looking for a model of inclusion on that campus. Um, And really, and something that hopefully we'll touch on today, kind of looking for that authentic um, transition-based experience from the world of high school um, to the world of adult-based learning and adult-based experiences. And so that's really what we do in a nutshell, and I'm sure we'll get into it plenty. Yeah, that's a great, great introduction. And I know there's so much more to it, so I'm really (laughs) looking forward to that. Can we go back just a little bit? Um, You're one of the founders. So how did this happen? Were you working in this space and you realized there was a need for it? What made you start this business? Yeah, at the time, there were a few of us, um, either in the world of clinical mental health or community-based mental health um, and education, who were really interested around models of inclusion in higher ed. This was around almost 12 years ago now. Um, And I was asked to kind of be part of this group um, that was focusing at the time, at the time around um, a Think College initiative, which was and a federal initiative that focused primarily just on students with intellectual disabilities 
um, and providing access to higher education and support in that learning environment. And uh, it was a grant. It was a grant where colleges applied that our colleges pre- applied for around the U.S. Um, and long story short, as a group of us kind of started to dig into this, we realized, oh my goodness, this is so powerful. This is so critically important. And at the same time, we are missing a huge population of learners. And just being in practice, um, being in clinical practice, really realizing that um, the population of learners that we were missing here were what we refer to um, as gap kids. So gap kids, in my mind, um, would be students who maybe have an IEP in high school, um, maybe who um, have uh, academically what it takes to apply and get into maybe a community college or you know, some four-year college, but are really lacking a lot of the executive functioning skills that one needs to actually thrive in adult-based learning. And the conflict between, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, but the conflict between the high school um, and wanting to meet their goals and their mark, their benchmarks in the IEP, and then the world of actual adulthood and what the reality looks like when the rubber hits the road for these students. So we call them the gap kids because they aren't necessarily eligible for adult disability services like one with an intellectual disability would possibly be eligible for. So the population that I was brought on to focus about um, with intellectual disabilities kind of expanded my mind and my thinking of, well, how the heck are we going to support these gap kids and there's no funding attached to them? And, you know, to me, it seems like a population that high school want out of their district because they're typically relatively expensive kids to have there. Um, And that the adult world, including higher education, is not prepared to support um, with their current structures that they have. So we started a nonprofit and expanded who our population was and broke away from the grant. That's kind of how we got started. And what a great direction to take. I hear from parents a lot about the, I've never heard them called gap kids before. (laughs) Um, but we call it, I've called it like this abyss in between, you know, really having the, the diagnosis or the, the need for extra support yeah. and the kid doing great academically, but not having that identified need. So they're going to struggle, but there's not a lot of services for them. Now, the unfortunate part of all this is you're not everywhere, right? You're only in select states or at select schools. How many locations right now? Um, 13 right now. And primarily we are um, around the East Coast and the Mid-Atlantic down in Virginia. Um, And really what we need to kind of get going for a program is to have a college that has this mission, that needs this level of support, that realizes that supports can oftentimes exceed accessibility services and that office alone. Um, And then we need a community that also says we have a demand. We have a heavy population of referrals um, to this college, this or to this region. Um, And so really that's kind of where we, that's where we started. And, you know, I'm in from Vermont. This is where we hatched um, and incubated uh, this idea. And then we just kind of started to slowly grow out from Vermont. So we kind of have reached the states primarily in the New England area. Okay. So can we talk about some of the support and services that you offer? You talk about, you know, transi- authentic transitioning. Is that what you call it? 
I like to call it authentic transition services, but okay. primarily one would see it as transition supports or transition services. Okay. And what does that all include? Like you talked about executive yeah. function, right? That's an awesome question. And this is where I just love to spend time with parents and love to spend time educating. Because like you said, if we don't have a college steps program, what can you do as a family member to really support your child, right? So in an IEP, first of all, really understanding what your what your rights are um, for having a child that has an IEP is the first and foremost thing. Um, and not being afraid to ask questions or call meetings, because that is your right as a parent um, to be really curious um, about what's happening with your son or your daughter um, and to see, you know, are they getting their needs met? through the current plan that's in place. So a transition service is there are the academic components outlined in the IEP, and there are how will we meet the academic needs of the student. And then beyond that, there is what's called um, transition-based services or transition supports. So that's going to outline, a transition support outlines, what will it take to get this child um, from adolescence or from getting support in a high school setting to adult living. That could be focusing on independence, executive functioning, social skill advancement, pre-employment. That's another big component. And there's always that exploration of higher education. So that is what's in that IEP, especially when you're starting to look in like eighth grade, ninth grade. As a parent, really make sure that there are transition goals that are meaningful to you to your family and that are going to help prepare your child to actually launch into the adult world. Okay. So what if you're a parent of a high school, sophomore, junior, even a senior, and those goals either haven't been clearly defined or aren't, you know, intentional enough or relevant enough, or they exist, but they haven't been met. Like, I know it's not too late, but is there something that can be done at that point? Right. Well, I think again, getting curious Um, and collaborating as much as you can with your high school. You know, my goal here is to not say high schools aren't doing a great job. Oftentimes they're doing the very best they can. So collaborate with your high school, get curious, say, um, what do you have for, for, what does this district have around pre-employment services? Are you offering any training around this? What does this district have around um, helping my child figure out how to navigate the social world or how to find an apartment or how to manage money or how to get a job. Tell me like what those services look like. And if the school is not coming up with things that feel comfortable to you as a parent, feel free to acknowledge and see that there are other um, community-based organizations like College Steps that are doing this, um, that are doing this level of work. And so when I refer to authentic transition services, I feel it's authentic because we are based in an adult environment. So in some cases, we might have a IEP student who could be finished all their academic requirements, but haven't yet met their transition goals. In my mind, that student has no place to be in high school anymore when they've already seen their peers walk and graduate and receive their diploma. So high schools should not be a holding tank what we should be looking at are kind of these measures and bridging to that adult-based world. Um, so get curious, ask what community options are out there. And if you really like one, even if it costs some money, investigate it. See if you can push your district to fund to have your child go to one of those community groups or organizations. 
if a high school doesn't have sufficient based transition services, then you as a parent can look and see what's out there in the community for offerings. Yeah, because with an IEP, you're entitled by law to certain services, right? That's it's yes, that's kind of a loaded um, question because <laughs> if the high school does actually, if they can say that they provide those services and that they have options um, to exploring these services for your child, um, they might be really sufficient and they might be really wonderful. A lot of schools have got great programs and have great opportunities for students. Some not so much um, and are working on it. But when I say authentic, nothing about this should be cutesy. Because as, as a parent, you know, once your student leaves and gets that diploma, no, the IEP is gone. Those protections are gone. So I guess my biggest, you know, my biggest stress here would be for families to really push, to really feel it out. Is this giving my child what they need to actually be on their own without me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my only experience is with the current school, you know, the schools that my kids are are in or have been in, and my my friends' experiences. My boys are not on IEPs, but I, it's mixed from people that I've I've talked to, and it really depends. Obviously, every child is an individual, but I would guess too that the past year or so with COVID. Because it's turned schools upside down so much in general. I mean, guidance mm-hmm. counselors, everybody are so overwhelmed. I mean, they were before, but now they are even more with providing so many different services and filling so many different roles. I'm wondering if if what was available before, not that it's not available now, but there's got to be the resources to provide it, right? I think there has to be. I mean, that's a, it's really a great point. It's something that has kept me awake at night thinking about, especially mm-hmm. when COVID first hit. And I had I have smaller kids and mm-hmm. being home and thinking, oh, my goodness, like, I don't know if I can manage this. I have my young kids here and they're making me bonkers and I'm trying to work. But then I was thinking really about so many of our students and our families and trying to do the best that they can for, you know, especially students that might have some high levels of need. Um, And what were they getting from districts, especially Mm -hmm. when COVID first hit, and then throughout the whole year? Um, Surely, you know, we are concerned about, um, you know, our air quotes here, traditional learners, right, losing ground during COVID. Well, what does that look like, you know, for our population of learners? Um, And so I do think, I think that this is going to be a big year coming up. Um, 2021 fall is going to be a big makeup year. And for families to really think critically about, you know, what they may have lost and what they might need going forward. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about gap years or deferments or whatever you want to call it, um, where kids are, are putting college off because either it's not the experience they wanted, or they just don't feel ready. And I've actually done I've done a couple of episodes where we've talked about what others have called failure to launch. So they've, you know, finished high school, gotten the diploma, have the grades, but they're just not ready for that next step, whether it's a college step or a different step, whatever it is. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what parents can be looking for in their kids to determine readiness? And is there anything parents can be doing at home? So if there's not a college steps or anything like it nearby, what can they be doing as a family? That's a great question too. Um, and I do think as 
a family, again, kind of getting curious and realizing that it's so much more than academics. And college um, was for me, it was so much more than academics to leave home, to -hmm. figure out how to navigate, even driving. Um, I remember going, I was outside of Boston and driving on a four lane highway here in Vermont. We don't have that. And that was terrifying for me, but that was all part of it. You know what I mean? Um, And so it's really, it's kind of this all encompassing um, experience going to college. But what I would tell parents to really start thinking about, especially if your child has a disability, call accessibility services, ask them, what does it mean to get academic adjustments? What does that look like? Um, What kind of supports are in place? What does their academic resource center look like on campus? And then really, you know, do yourself a favor and dig into student life. So there's the academic side of every college, and then there's the student life side of colleges. Student life is really important. You know, what kind of clubs does your college offer? What kind of um, opportunities around advancement or, you know, peer-based support do you have? All of those things are really critical. And also, once you're starting to gather that information, then you're able to really think about, is your child ready for this? You know, maybe if you're kind of on the fence of, are they ready for college or not? um, You may be able to get a determination based on what the college has available for support. I'm Anne-Marie Kelly. Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize-winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here. Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. Are there many colleges that have better known programs than others for students with with learning challenges or disabilities are there some in the in the throughout the country that we should be looking at yeah i mean that's i think absolutely um <laughs> so there are some colleges that really excel um in this area and probably the list is so extensive that i wouldn't even begin to just start you know batting them off um and then there are some colleges that I would, you know, stay incredibly clear from. A lot of it too, another thing is look at the mission statement of the college. Um, Every college typically has a mission statement. And if it really highlights around um, inclusion, diversity, um, you know, peer-based connection, you know, you want that kind of environment where you know you're kind of going into a safer place. Um, But the academic resource side of things is also critical knowing what's there and knowing too on the mental health side of things, what do you have for counseling based supports? Um, Cause parents should realize and should know once your child goes to college, you are not involved. You are not only not involved, but you're not invited. You're invited to pay their tuition, but you're not invited to call a professor. You're not invited to advocate for your son or daughter for something that they may need. They are on their own there. So if they don't have those self-advocacy skills or don't know who they can work with to actually make sure that they can get those skills that they need so that they can ensure they're getting their needs met, there's going to be a problem there. And one of the big things that I hear a lot, the term I hear a lot is executive function. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of, I think, confusion or question around what that really means 
pain. And how to improve it if it's possible, right? I, there's, I think this is kind of a big question, <laughs> which is why I'm having trouble articulating it. But there are kids who just, correct me if I'm wrong, there are kids who are just incredibly disorganized. There are kids who are not able to organize because of a challenge that they're facing, right? And is that true kind of across the board for executive function? I would think so. I mean, I mean, in some ways, I think executive functioning falls on organization, time management, advocacy is another huge one. Um, I work with, you know, my right now, my 11 year old and saying, you need to say what it is that you need. Um, and this is a lesson that's hard for even adult, us as adults, right? Um, but you do need those skills. You do need that skill set when you go to college. Um, and organization is key. I'll never forget, and this is a very quick story, but we accepted a student into the College Steps program um, at one of our locations. And I remember meeting with this student during an interview and his grandmother, who at the time was supporting him. And she was very tearful. And was so upset because she said, he is such a good student. He got nothing but straight A's all through high school. And he's failing miserably at this college. And at the time, I was very curious. And I said, you know, well, what do we think is going on? Well, he was having a lot of anxiety at the time. And he was kind of heading toward the class, but then sitting outside and never going into the classroom. So the thing about college, and this may seem silly to some, is you're responsible for getting yourself to class. If you do not go to class, nobody is going to come and find you and say, hey, Betsy, I realize you haven't been in class lately. Like, let's maybe sit down and talk about it. And that's a pretty big deal. That's a big deal for kind of neurotypical students. Mm -hmm. It's a very big deal and kind of a a pretty big barrier for our neurodiverse population of learners who do struggle with those executive functioning skill sets um, like self-advocacy, like organization, like anxiety management. it's a hard one. And what's the best way to approach help for that those kinds of challenges? I mean, can, is that stuff that parents can work on with kids at home? Or is it a better idea to, to seek help outside through a clinician or another program? Yeah, I, you know, I think that's a great question. I think there are absolutely ways that you can work on it day to day in your household by allowing your child to have more responsibility or even around the house, you know, talk about doing laundry, talk about setting reminders, talk about using some of the wonderful apps we have out there in this, you know, tech world around setting prompts for you. I mean, I do that all the time, set myself calendar reminders. So instead of maybe constantly encouraging your children or reminding them of things that are coming up, you know, allowing the ownership to be on them for thinking Mm -hmm. about these things. Um, That's really important. And it's also really hard as a mom, I can say it's really hard because I also love taking care of my daughters. And, um, you know, you realize this time is fleeting um, at home with them, right? But those are really important skills that they should be working on. Um, And then same goes in the community. If you feel as a parent, you're struggling or you're seeing a lack of motivation um, with your child, you know, maybe seeking some community-based support or help um, to work on those skill areas. Good idea. Yeah. As a parent, it's hard. I mean, you want to help them, yep. but you don't want a helicopter or snowplow or insert other. Or dismiss and make them here. feel like they're under supported. So it's a fine line to walk. I totally get it. 
It is. It is. So what else should parents or students be doing or thinking about as they're getting ready to transition? So maybe it's college and maybe it's not. Are there other, like, for example, over the summer, are there things that they can be thinking about or doing or somebody they should be reaching out to to help become more college ready? Yeah, that's great. I mean, there are a few things that come to mind there. The first is really examining concurrent enrollment, which we haven't touched on today. Some might look at it as concurrent enrollment, and some might look at it as dual enrollment. So before we're even looking at getting that diploma, if you feel that your son or daughter really needs kind of some practical college-based experience um, before they actually leave the confines of the high school, look at what your high school or your public school system has out there around concurrent enrollment options, meaning um, can we take a college level class and gain some support and some experience and still be a high school student? Is there a local community college out there? Is there a program like College Steps that can help to kind of assist in doing an early college year um, to get your feet wet? That's So if you're kind of on the fence and you have an IEP, and you're thinking, I don't even know if we're even close to ready for this, really examine that and think about that. Like, is there a room for doing a dual enrollment year? For parents who are headed toward that graduation and getting the diploma, look at the colleges around you too. A lot of schools offer kind of like um, boot camps, summer boot camps, where they go in and will do kind of a two-week session around what does it mean to be in college. And it may even be that you could come to the dorms and stay in the dorms and get to understand what college life looks like and bookstores and how do you get your books and all of those things. If you feel like maybe your your, your child needs a little um, time before the fall starts, the fall semester starts. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Every school should do that. I always a say that. A lot of schools like, do. Yeah. They probably do. I probably just don't even know it. <laughs> Yeah, I, my oldest is a junior in high school, so all this is coming up for us before we know it in the blink of an eye. So this is all this is helpful. It happens fast, yeah. One of the things that I love about your program is the peer mentor program, um, or the peer mentor aspect of the program. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So College Steps, we actually have nationally the largest peer mentoring group, um, which is really cool. Um, so the peer mentors are undergrad students at the same college that we're operating. Typically, they have to have um, over a 3.0 GPA. Um, and we typically hire just upperclassmen, especially if we're at a four-year school. We're looking at juniors and seniors participating in the program. Usually, they are education majors or um, some sort of human services major. Um, and they are placed with our students in a very thoughtful way. Um, to support our students through their transition plan that has been detailed and outlined by College Steps. So when we talk about authentic kind of transition, a lot of it is focused on the peers. Many of our students have been used to working with paraprofessionals or adults. Um, and that, again, it's not the real world. Once you go to college, those, those supports just disappear. So part of self-advocacy is learning how to um, have natural supports where if you and I were in a class and I was feeling stuck, I would lean over and say, Betsy, could we talk after class? And, you know, would you mind going down and getting a bagel with me and we could do some review? That's advocating for myself because I'm confused and I'm using a natural support that exists on the college. So the peer mentors that we hire 
um, for college steps are peers at that college that have already been there. They work with our students to either focus on academics, social skill advancement, pre-employment skill development, or independent living. Um, They have a very detailed plan where they have to report for every 15 minutes that they're working with students to the coordinator who's on site. And their number one goal is to help that student bridge to being independent in that college environment, making natural friends through clubs, um, through their class connections, teaching them about self-advocacy, and when do you do that on campus, Um, figuring out how do I make healthy choices in this new adult environment, which can also be very complicated and very tempting for many students. Um, So they're amazing. They are the lifeblood of our program. Um, It is definitely a highly supervised position to be in, to be a peer mentor. We have extensive supervision and training for them. They're all paid. Um, Oh, they are. Okay. They're all paid through our nonprofit. In fact, I would never recommend um, in many ways uh, doing something like this without that level of accountability. They all Mm -hmm. have to have federal and state background checks. Um, It's a big job. Uh, Absolutely. And it's a professional relationship. It's not a best buddies type of relationship. It's a professional relationship that the student and the mentor are entering into. I love that. Yeah. Because I would think they would feel more comfortable with a peer, you know, asking some of their questions or getting help on things, especially in social situations. Absolutely. And there's that place of peer pressure that students who can be relatively resistant and have had so much support sometimes through high school are really done with it. I mean, even when um, my youngest daughter is on an IEP and during some of this home learning, when I'm trying to help her, you know, she can just be downright just awful to me. Um, But when I see her peers helping her, she engages because she's, you know, the kids are, are interesting. Adults were interesting. You know, I probably am a lot uh, more accepting of working with a colleague and getting their support than when my husband's trying to help me with something. And I, you know, I'm like, leave me alone. I've got this. Yeah. So, same here. Same here. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the case too, for, you know, a lot of our students, they're ready and willing to, to accept that support. Um, and I think the level of oversight that the mentors have and knowing that the coordinator is on campus for active problem solving um, is critical. And all of our mentors go through extensive professional development, which is also a wonderful opportunity for them if they're in human services and they want to learn more about the population uh, that we're supporting. So it's a great opportunity for them. It's a great opportunity for the college because the college then is getting an employer that is hiring students who are interested in psychology and education right there on their campus. Yeah. Do you market heavily to colleges or is it more they come to you? So a lot of times they come to us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think when we were first starting, we were more focused on the community and parents that would come to us. And then we would mm-hmm. knock on the doors of the college and try to explain what it is that we do and how we can support and um, how we're completely independent. Um but now we oftentimes have colleges that are coming to us for this. I think it should be at every college. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I do too. I mean, I think something that a lot of people don't really understand is that executive functioning supports primarily, they don't really exist. And and not only do they not completely exist, they're not required 
Mm. by law. It's not like a 504 accommodation through the Office of Accessibility, where you have to prove documentation of disability to get academic adjustments, which mean like extended test taking time or taking a test in a different room. It doesn't say anything about Johnny who's sitting in a hallway because his anxiety is almost unmanageable. And how can we teach him these skills to get him to class? I love the work that you guys are doing. I'm so glad that our paths crossed. Me too. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you about that you think would be helpful for parents? You know, I feel like we've had a few good conversations. Um, I would say that not only are we here, but there's also some great resources out there. If it's not us, you know, maybe we can steer you in the right direction. Um, We're always happy to have conversations with families. Okay. If college steps is needed, or if you have another kind of question about transitioning to college, um, we're happy to help. So, you know, again, I love it. Just get curious as a parent, ask questions. Don't be afraid um, to ask questions and and look for some of those hard answers that, you know, we kind of want to know sometimes and we kind of don't, but it's better to know than to not before you send your child off to um, a college. Yeah. Thank you so much. So where, what's the best way for people to reach out and follow you, social channels, website, email? We're at www.collegesteps.org is our website. And you can contact us through the site. And you can also find us on social media at College Steps on Instagram and on Facebook. Okay. I'll put all the links in the show notes. This has been great. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending the time. Really really informative. And I think, I think it, it provides hope. I think there's parents, parents that I know that are throwing their hands up in the air because they just don't feel like they're getting the help they need for their kids. So I think this might help give them some hope and give them a place to start with regard to resources and help. Well, thanks for doing what you're doing. Oh, I love it. Thanks for being here. All right. Well, take care. Well, that was an amazing conversation with Lauren. There are so many valuable services and features in the College Steps program. Why is this not a requirement at every single school in the U.S.? Whether our kids have learning challenges or not, every kid could benefit from help when it comes to transitioning to college and to life. There's only so much we parents can do at home, and most high schools don't have the resources or funding to provide this type of support. If you or someone you know has a teen who will struggle with post-high school transitioning, please don't lose hope. Reach out to Lauren, even if there isn't a College Steps program near you, I know she'd be glad to point you in the right direction. Here are my biggest takeaways from our conversation. Number one, our kids need to develop self-advocacy skills before they leave high school. Once they are at college or out in the real world, we won't be nearby to help advocate for them. It will take some encouragement and some confidence, but if we don't help our teens build this important skill, we're doing them a disservice. Number two, there may be funding and support for kids with IEPs and 504s, but if parents don't stay vigilant and make sure their teens' needs are met, there's a chance that they won't be. Not because our high schools don't want to help, but because they just don't have the bandwidth to make sure all kids don't fall through the cracks. And speaking of not falling through the cracks, number three, there's an obvious lack of funding for what Lauren calls gap kids. I call them kids lost in the abyss. No matter what you call them, these kids are performing well academically, 
and by all accounts, they look to be doing fine. But they may be struggling with mental health issues, executive functioning skills, or some other invisible challenge. We need to be on the lookout for these kids and find ways to support them so they can achieve authentic transitioning as they move on to college or whatever is the next step on their path. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm so glad you're here, and I'd be grateful if you would subscribe to the High School Hamster Wheel podcast in your favorite podcast player. I welcome your feedback, and I'd love to hear any ideas you have for future episodes. All links and references mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes at highschoolhamsterwheel.com slash 78. Be sure to follow the High School Hamster Wheel podcast on Facebook and join me and my co-host, Jay Dusold, in our Life After 12th Facebook group, where we provide help and encouragement for parents of career-confused teens and 20-somethings. That wraps it up for today. I'll be back soon with another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel podcast. Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greeny. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. We're talking uh, about sustainability, maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the Guilty Greeny. There's your first challenge of the week. Avoid (laughs) elephants. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. That's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay curiously green. Green.